Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Welcome back for episode 161 of the Freight 360 Podcast. Ben, how you doing today, man? And the reason I ask that is because it's about 70 degrees here today in western New York. How are you doing down in South Florida? Nice. A little warm. It was a little humid in the middle of the day, but weather's beautiful and I don't have any nothing to complain about. Going to be heading to the beach after work today to take my daughter out for a little bit. <laughs> See, I was, uh, was trying to, you know... Start off with a positive, you know, with having good weather here in October, but I'm not going to the beach. I can tell you that much. We, we've already hit the, like the high thirties as a low on some nights, but, uh, yeah. Um, but I will be going to Florida in November for a long weekend for my anniversary with my wife. So we'll be getting our, uh, getting our bones warmed up in the nice warm sun down there for a weekend. Nice. I kind of miss the fall weather, though, to be honest. I miss that, like, uh, 40, 60, eh, maybe not 40s anymore. We'll say, like, 50s, 60s. <laughs> like, the hoodie weather. Yeah. And the leaves Sweater changing weather. weather. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, today's going to be a great episode. Um, if you're <clears> brand new, you, you, you found us at an awesome first episode to listen to, but there's 160 other episodes, so make sure to check all of those out and share us with your friends. Keep leaving us uh, reviews and send us questions. We've got a packed episode today. We're going to be talking about um, how to handle objections. You know, there's a, a handful of common ones. We're going to get through to them. Uh, but first, this episode is brought to you by Blue Book Services. Blue Book Services is the resource you need if you're transporting fresh produce. Their online database contains thousands of companies throughout the produce industry supply chain. You can easily search their database to generate new sales leads. Blue Book's credit ratings help you avoid companies with high credit risk, and their team can help resolve disputed loads. To learn more, go to ProduceBlueBook.com and click Join Today. That's ProduceBlueBook.com. You know, it's funny. As I read through that, I'm like, all right, leads. Went through that yesterday with somebody on Produce Blue Book, or on the Blue Book there. Um, credit ratings, I, I've probably looked at about three or four of them in the last 24 hours. And disputed loads, they're helping us with one right now at, uh, at our brokerage. So, um, nice. Good stuff, and we are going to be doing some work with them on their end, um, I believe, in the coming week or so, and we're going to have one of them back on with us next month, so look forward to that. Um, sports, the, the elephant in the room, the Bills over the Steelers last weekend. I, if you're watching on YouTube, this is actually my new um, – I have the, the Bills roster and the scores behind me, and uh, big W, 38-3. to three. Um, we made our predictions, though, with Jordan last week, and he didn't think that the Bills were going to cover the spread. They covered it and then some. Yeah. I don't think they covered the over and under, though, both of them. Did they? Was um, uh, it was I don't, probably not. It was only 41 points. Um, yeah. And I think the over under was either like mid 40s or maybe close to 50. I don't remember. But um, We'll get to the week six predictions here uh, soon. But, hey, Philadelphia Eagles, man, they're still undefeated. Um, you got – I think it's Philly and the Cowboys are playing this week. I think it might be Thursday Night Football. That's going to be a good one to watch. The NFC least is no longer the NFC least. you got some good teams in there. Um, NHL has started. So, depending on how the Sabres do, I may uh, be a bandwagon fan this year. I don't know how the 
Um, Penguins. Look, I haven't really haven't followed hockey in like years, man. Yeah, it'll start to pick up. I'll start to follow it a little bit through the playoffs, but that's about it. Yeah. Major League Baseball, right? Baseball's in the, the playoffs here now. Wild card's over. We're on to the divisional rounds now. You got, uh, as of this recording, um, Astros are up. Um, Braves are, I think, are up. Um, Yankees, and I can't remember who else out of the out of the teams that are in it. So, But stay tuned, man. October, this is the great thing about October. There's so much going on. You've got football. You've got hockey starting. You've got... Um, baseball playoffs. Is there anything big in the golf world happening right now? Nah, golf's pretty much wrapped up by this time. Gotcha. But where I live, golf season's just starting. So if you're like actually <laughs> yeah. playing golf, this is like the time that you everyone's super excited for. So yeah, Who's that that's fair. That's fair. Well, we'll definitely be following everything. Um, so in news, I, I know you've got an article, but first I, I wanted to hit on something. I saw a tweet from Elon Musk about Pepsi using his uh, electric all electric um, semi trucks. And I, I looked it up and I like verified it from a bunch of different news websites. So Pepsi did order a hundred class eight fully electric uh, Tesla trucks that they're going to start using for both their beverage and their, like their snack um, distribution. So I think like Frito-Lay is in there as part of the same organization or whatever, but these are not autonomous trucks. So don't, you know, don't get crazy here. These are just fully electric. They're claiming 500 mile range on one charge. Um, Curious to see how it pans out. I mean, you get a big buy-in from a company like Pepsi. It's pretty big. So, Yeah, and I think, honestly, I mean, hopefully over the next decade to 15 years, we are moving away from the internal combustion engine. I know there's a lot of back and forth on, yeah, at the end of the day, it's still you need fossil fuels in some ways to still manufacture electric vehicles. You need rare earth materials to make them as well. It's not like they're zero, but... A lot better than what we have and any improvements I think we make because there's so much um, just greenhouse gases produced by our industry. I forget one guy used a really good example and he's like something that doesn't really make sense except for capitalism. And Pepsi is a good example. So we spend, you know, millions of dollars every year shipping liquids around the country, right? That are almost all readily available in your house. Like what would make a lot more sense is the water Pepsi and stuff sold- like that you're saying? Yeah, but even Pepsi, right? Like you can buy these machines at home now that will carbonate it and put the um, the syrup in it itself. And they're like, if everybody had one in those house and you didn't have to ship truckloads of 20 ounce and 16 ounce bottles with the water in it, and you just use the water in your house or the carbonated water, like you would eliminate like millions of tons of just carbon, you know, into the atmosphere on a yearly basis. Interesting. But companies make more money, obviously, by charging you $2.50 for your 20 ounce bottle at convenience, but most people drink them in their house anyway. And I'm like, that's a pretty valid point, a pretty inefficient way we operate as a society. I I have a soda stream. So I think like, you know, that's the little yeah. thing that you put the, fill it up with water, yeah. you carbonate it, and then you pour your syrup in there. Um, mm-hmm. I got it for convenience, just like I have like a little bar area in my house. So if someone wanted to make a mixed drink, it's always got like, you know, your colas stuff and like your tonic and whatnot. So that's why I have it. But I mean, I'm a, I'm a monster guy. I drink a lot of, you know, these, you know, depending on who you talk to, they're bad for you. And I don't know, they, they, they give me the caffeine I, I like to have, but I don't know if you can make monster at home. There's probably, I've seen like the Red Bull flavor energy stuff for the soda stream, but um, yeah, you make a good point there. So what's going on? You, you, you have a, an article from Freight Waves about tender rejections. Take us through that. It's 
overall market talking about the title of the market uh, the article is truckload market loosens against again as tender rejections touch new low so quick overview for anybody that listens to us we talk about this a lot but the tender rejections are really just the percentage of contracted loads so carrier or brokerage typically the asset carriers that have agreed to run consistent lanes over a period of time. We'll call it a year for this, right? Say you're going to run this load, you know, five days, five, five times a week, right? And then when the load comes around, you know, say it's Wednesday and you basically just don't send a truck, like you reject the load. Hey, I'm not going to send my truck for this load, even though I committed to you as the shipper. Why that normally happens is because there's a better paying load in the spot market. So why would I run this for $2.10 a mile if I can go get $3 in the spot market? Is normally what this, you know, rejection rate tells you, which is the correlation between, all right, are the asset come are the asset guys going for the contracted or are they going to the spot market? Well, we've seen the massive migration of trucks from the spot market to the contract market this year. Yep. We've seen the contract market that has stayed above the spot market which by the way, shouldn't really ever happen. Like, and again, that is an opportunity though for a brokerage because if you can get a truck cheaper today than your customer is getting on a contract basis, some of those loads from the shipper's point of view should also stop going to carriers and moving more to the spot market because they would save money theoretically, yep. right? So the higher the rejection rate, the more loads you see in the spot market, which usually means more loads to brokers. The lower that number, the less loads are hitting the spot market, the less, you know, your shippers are going to need help from the brokerages typically. So we're in an all-time low. We're at 5% for national average. Last time this was seen was in May 2020 when the economy was climbing out of the lockdown. They call it, you know, the deep freeze when markets fell off the, you know, a cliff and they started to come back. That was the last time we saw a, you know, 5% rejection rate. Now. Some of the good news in this, right, is when you read through the article, there's always some highlights. And my take on these as a broker is, to be honest, I'm not running every lane in the country. I'm not trying to move every load in the country. So the national averages mean something, but not necessarily the whole shebang, I would say, right? Like, so even in this article, they talk about the areas that are higher, right? So the higher the rejection rate, the tighter the capacity, the more your shipper is likely to need help. And out of the five largest markets, only Harrisburg, Pennsylvania has a tender rejection rate of 6.39, which is higher than the national average. That higher floor may be supported by the reefer market out of Harrisburg, which is rejecting 7.5% of outbound loads and may continue to tighten further as temp controlled food imports into Philly during their north East winter. So they're predicting not only are they rejecting way more than they are on a national average, seven and a half percent, but also that this is a tight market for reefers. So guess where I'm going to go prospect? I'm going to go prospect reefers and refrigerated commodities that are coming out of Harrisburg because I know statistically they're likely to have the largest issues in the country right now. Yep. And for anyone new out there, don't forget a refrigerated unit is not just used to cool. It's also used to heat. So you see a lot of that stuff, produce that's, that can't be frozen. Once you get in the northern parts of the states, they're they're using it to keep your product at a warmer than outside temperature. Also, I want to add um, the spot market, the contract, uh, the Freight Waves article, it's, it's got a pretty good graph. Um, it looks like it, they flip-flopped you know, early in the year, February, March. 
and hit a the, the biggest spread was like June, July, and it is climbing back. We're still about 50 cents apart, but it, it, it got to a point where it was like almost, looks like almost 70, 75 cents um, in the, in the wrong way, but now it's kind of coming back. I think you'll see it flip back up there. I mean, I assume in the next six months, but who knows? I'm not an economist. That's kind of, I think that's what the general consensus is amongst people that track this and live in the numbers. Like our friend Ken Adamo and the folks over at DAT, like they all kind of look at it kind of staying the same, but the contract getting closer to spot and moving back towards normalcy throughout the end of this year into early next year. And yep. even the article kind of finalizing with it, like this is Mark is not going to last forever. It's likely to start moving back to the normal markets again towards the end of this year or to early next year, um, maybe even February. But again, that's good news. I mean, if you're prospecting, you should be two to three months ahead of things. It's middle of October right now. So again, if the market's, predicted to start shifting up in January, February, you want to start prospecting those shippers in October, November, December, regardless. So, I mean, yep. we're not far out of the, of, you know, it's not so far in the future that it isn't applicable. Like you can start doing something with this information right now, right? Getting ahead of these things, because guess what? Bid season for all your shippers come 2023, which normally is an early spring, you know, end of January, February, kind of March period is not going to be the same as last year. And it's not going to be the same as the year before. And again, whether it's much better or much worse, all we care is that it's different. Because if it's different, there's a pretty high likelihood a shipper's willing to evaluate a new transportation partner, a new broker, a new carrier, yep. right? That's 100%. all we need is to be able to get in the door. So, Cool. Well, we're going to definitely hit on um, a couple of things you just mentioned with evaluating new providers and some of our uh, topic today. But first, let's give a shout out to our friends at DAT. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Loadboard Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. Okay, today's topic is about handling objections. We had, you know, we get this question kind of a lot and it's it's worth doing a full episode on. We've had episodes on this in the past, but um, I thought we'd take a slightly different approach this time and talk about what are, not just what are the objections that you get from your customer, but why do they give you these objections? How do you decipher if they're real or if they're blow-offs? And then how can you handle them and tackle those or combat those uh, objections moving forward to, to help grow your book of business, build relationships, and uh, gain some trust and rapport with your prospects and customers. So I've got a list of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven objections here that I think are pretty common. And um, we'll, we'll handle any other ones too that pop up through our discussion, but I want to hop right into it, right? First one is we're only using asset-based companies. Okay. First of all, this is most likely um, always not a true. blow off, right? It's not true. Or we just not true. And the rejection, right? You A customer goes through a bid and then they tender their loads out to carriers and there's always a tender rejection percentage, right? So it was as high as like 30% or more in the last year and now it's down towards 5%. But still, that means 
those contracted asset carriers are giving those loads back. Not to mention in a bid process, brokers are able to participate in bids at a lot of companies. Okay. So yes. this is a, a common objection used to get a novice freight broker off the phone. It's kind of like, hey, we don't do work with companies like you. Okay, bye. Right. So, what, And there's mean, something else true. There's something else that's also, and I want to talk a little bit about why they're saying this as a blow off, but also why it could be partially true and what this really means usually. It's always with a grain of salt. They're never 100% across the board. But also... As the market gets tighter, meaning it's harder to find trucks, a great example of this is the pandemic, right? Going all the way up until really January of this year, right? To your point, one out of three loads that should have been picked up were given back to the shipper, right? So what you're also seeing is there's way less contracted capacity, meaning way more loads were going to brokers, right? Because again, if one in three of your scheduled loads isn't picking up on time and it needs to get picked up today, an asset company cannot reposition trucks and get you a truck today. If they're an asset company, all of their trucks should all have loads on them or be waiting to get a load. You shouldn't have idle assets just sitting around waiting for somebody that needs them because it's costing you money. So yes. again, you know, the entirety of the pandemic, this wasn't true at all. But what was happening was the amount of brokers that a shipper was willing to work with during that type of market got bigger. So maybe on average, a shipper might have four or five brokers or two or three they work with. Well, during the pandemic, you were seeing companies that were working with 20, 30, 40 brokers because it was a market where I don't even need to care about service. I just need a truck so bad that anybody with a heartbeat, as Dean would say, that could fog a mirror, that could give me a truck, I'm going to onboard and give them a shot occasionally because they were just so desperate for trucks. So again, lots of brokers. Well, what happens when the market swings back the other side? It's not that they're not using any brokers. It's that they are dwindling that number down to something manageable, to where historically it should be, like two or three, maybe four, maybe five. So this was very prevalent in lumber shippers, right? In fact, I've seen some of their lists. During the pandemic, they might have 75, 85 brokers on their load list. So they're just sending out every day, whoever can get me a truck, get me a truck. You know, come February, March of this year, they're eliminating some of the brokers that weren't really sending trucks anyway. They're like, well, why are we even sending our list to these companies? They've given us a truck in three months. So those guys get eliminated. Then they start to whittle that down and go, okay, who has the worst service? Get rid of those folks. Okay, who isn't responsive? Get rid of those brokers until they've got a workable, you know, group of brokers of maybe two or three. So when you're calling them, they might say, we only work with assets. What they really mean is, we're only willing to onboard assets right now because that's in our best interest. Yeah. Right? So I'll add to that. It's more of a, well, let me put it this way, right? Some of the big customers out there, the Walmarts and the Targets of the world, right? Um, they have, there's a lot of their lanes that are distribution center to distribution center or whatever, right? Where they have this closed loop type of market where they can use just strictly asset-based companies and have dedicated um trucks to run this because it's predictable and there's a lot of volume, but that's not the case for these smaller to mid-sized shippers, right? They're going to use the same objection, but the reality I think of the situation is, and this applies to all of them. The first objection you get from a customer is probably not the real reason that, you know, that there's, it's not the reality of the situation, right? They're going to tell you that, but you've got to do some digging to, to unpack what is really going on here, right? Yes, I'm used to being able to say we only work with asset-based companies. Um, so I'm just going to keep saying that because it works majority of the time. But ask the right questions and you'll be able to decipher what's really going on yep. there. 
So, so how um, to handle the objection? Well, I want to cover a little bit on just this one, because this is one we're going to apply to almost every one of the objections we have on here. And the first one I almost always use is just a matter of habit. And I've talked about this a lot. It's a pattern interrupt. Okay. What are they expecting to happen when they tell you this? They're expecting you to what? Go away, right? Yeah. Hey, sorry, hang up. Boom. Boom. The next one. And they go, sorry, I'm not going to call that shipper ever again. So what they end up doing is calling a whole bunch of companies once, not getting anywhere and going, there's no business here. Again, so I'm going to use a pattern interrupt because I am trying to verify whether or not this is true. And the best way to get them to engage me in an actual dialogue, a back and forth, because think about it. If somebody calls you in the middle of the day and you're middle of working on something and they're trying to sell you something, what are you trying to do? You haven't even stopped paying attention to what you're still paying attention to whatever you were doing to just get them off and to go back to it. So my first, my first objective is to get them to focus on me. So, Hey, no, sorry. We're only asset based. I'm going to come with them with something they don't expect. Like that's fantastic. And I'm not going to say anything. And then they're going to go, uh-huh. and then they're going to what? Like, cause that's just not what they expect. Right. Yeah. But I've got their attention, which is my first goal. Right. All right. I got their attention. Now I'm going to, Hey, that's fantastic. I mean, that must mean you got like a hundred percent on time percentage, all of your contracted loads, zero rejection. Everybody's picking up all is right in the world. Right. And I kind of say that like kind of chuckling because if they know, I know what I'm talking about and that's what we're really trying to establish because they don't know me at all. Then they know I'm insinuating that this is kind of BS. Yep. And also what they tell me. Without being an a-hole. Right. Now they're going to give me either the justification or the truth, or maybe not at all, but at least I'm more likely to get somewhere with it. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Like I said, to be honest, Ben, we're not onboarding any brokers right now, but you know, our assets have been really reliable. So, you know, procurement's not really letting me bring anybody else into the mix. Okay. I've gotten to the real reality. I can't overcome something if we're not talking about the real issue. Okay. The real issue is this guy's boss or their department won't let them bring me on right now. Okay. I don't expect to be onboarded right now anyway. I'm just trying to get a little back and forth to get some trust and some rapport. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, I guess things are going pretty well for you guys. Now I'm going to try to get some qualifying in. Hey, how many guys, how many loads are you guys shipping during busy season or this time of year or, you know, heading into the fourth quarter? Because I want to know if it's worth me to keep prospecting them until they're going to bring on a broker or until they have a reason to need me, right? So now it's not like I'm going to, I'm dead in the water. I'm going to determine, okay, they shoot 40, 50 loads a week and maybe they're not on board any brokers, but hey, they're going to need some help when things tighten up. So that's somebody I'm going to follow back up with. Absolutely. I like it. And you're right. The, the, the pattern interrupt and the whole methodology behind overcoming the objection is going to apply to all of these. So the next one, and we hear this a lot is my cut or my freight or our freight is customer routed, right? Or in other words, um, our freight... Our, yeah, our transportation is set up by our customers, right? We're, we're not the ones that are actually um, hiring the trucks and all that stuff. So uh, again, it's another it's another blow off in most cases. And I think one of the things that you have to think about is if their outbound freight is routed by their customer, well, how about their inbound freight, right? Or, you know... If, if you go that route, you're like, okay, well, you know, so that's that's great. You guys don't have to worry about any of your outbound stuff. Um, how about the stuff that comes inbound to you? Oh, that's customer routed as well. Wow. So, you know, that's that's awesome. You don't have to deal with any of these headaches ever. Like, no, obviously that's, it's the same kind of concept there because that was the case 
that guy wouldn't have a guy or girl wouldn't have a job. There'd be no reason for them yes. to be there, right? You just need a, a loading crew yes. with a supervisor. And here's my other here's my other way that, that I always kind of find this comical when I'm teaching somebody this. I'm like, okay, think about it. if you have any customers at all right now that tender their own loads, like, do they ever run a hundred percent perfect all of the time? Well, the obvious is the obvious answer is no, right? Okay, so how efficient do you think a warehouse is that has no say so of when trucks show up to deliver or show up to pick up? It would be a melee over there, right? Because mm -hmm. again, now you've got two other parties scheduling trucks going in and picking up from a location that they aren't at. You got trucks showing up a little late because they, they got stuck at a receiver, trucks showing up early. It would be utter chaos if somebody was running a warehouse where they have no say-so of when trucks come in or go out. And the likelihood yeah. that that's true again is... And the other part of it too, if you're if the customer is in charge of booking the truck then the customer or the, your prospect has no control over the pricing of the truck or if profits mm -hmm. being added on the pricing of that truck or the reliability, uh, you know, is that truck going to actually show up on time? Um, there's consequences to all this stuff. And it is, it is typically highly unusual that a company doesn't have any control or say or influence in the transportation of um, their outbound freight or their inbound freight. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, the other side of that too is the only time that's usually true, and again, grain of salt, not always applicable, but it's when they're shipping such a low volume and their customers don't need it urgently enough that like they literally can just send a truck in any day this week. And if it picks up, they're okay with it. And if it delivers any day next week, their customer is okay with it. So in those yep. in scenarios where it's just such low volume that they can just operate that way. And by the way, if that's true anyway, they're not a good fit for you as a brokerage to be working with anyway. So again, same pattern. Pattern interrupt, just like you said. Oh, that's fantastic. So you guys don't have any of the headaches of dealing with drivers, right? And I'm also framing it that way because I want to hear how they react. Are they going to chuckle? Are they going to be serious? Are they like... They're going to tell you things without realizing they're telling you just by pausing to hear how they respond to you. Exactly. All right. So the next one is, uh, it kind of goes back to the first one. It's we're not adding any new brokers right now. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same situation as we are only using, we're only using, or we're only adding asset based companies. What I like with this one is to, you know, ask questions that get to the root cause like, hey, you know, did you guys have a bad experience with brokers in the past? What, you know, what does your broker onboarding process look like when it does happen? Is there a, is there a bid cycle coming up where brokers are invited based on a variety of criteria? Um, what would you add in addition to what we just talked about with the asset-based objection? My approach to this one's a little different. So where I usually go with this one is, hey, we're not adding brokers right now. And be like, oh, that's fine. To be honest, I don't even know if we're a good fit to work together at the end of the day anyway. Honestly, I was just reaching out to see if, you know, it would even make sense for us to continue talking. I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, ballpark, I mean, during busy season, what are you guys shipping a week anyway? I am trying to, again, qualify, see if it's worth me working with them or prospecting them until that door opens. Some you can influence, some you, you never can really control whether or not they're onboard you, but you can influence them, right? So again, I'm not expecting them to onboard me right now. And again, we talk about this a lot. What is the standard? How many times should I expect to speak with them before they're going to onboard me anyway? Eight to 12, right? We always kind of yeah. say. So again, yeah. that's my first phone call. 
I don't expect them to tell me any of the truth. Mm -hmm. I expect them to try to get me off the phone, to not know who I am, and to not remember me when I call the second time. So again, take it with a grain of salt, try to get an idea on whether it's a prospect I still want to pursue. And I'm going to be looking at what we talked about earlier in this call is, okay, come early spring, the market's likely to shift. They're likely to be um, doing a bid. They might start evaluating brokers then. That's three, four months from now. I'm cool. I mean, like I'm going to talk to this guy once every other week for about the next two months anyway. So I don't care if they're onboarding brokers right now. What I care is if the juice is going to be worth the squeeze come January, February, after I've talked to them a handful to a dozen times. And I want to blend this one in right with the next one, which is we're all set. We don't need any help right now. It's it's kind of a whole there. You might get this one from a gatekeeper because they have no idea what's going on. And their their job is just to get you off the phone. But hey, we're not at any brokers. No, we're fine. We're all set right now. Any If you can get to the root of the call or the root issue, because every traffic manager has some kind of issues. If they didn't, then they're the anomaly. They're, they're the unicorn, right? Um, if, if, they, if someone could tell you with a straight face that they have zero issues in transportation, everything's always on time, they don't have any claims or anything ever, they're either not the actual traffic manager or they're lying to you. So you want to get to the- And a great way to prove that, right? Think about it. Anybody that manages any size of book of business, have you ever gone a week in this business and not had an issue come up? No. So again, <laughs> that's where that mark of like 20 to 25 trucks a week, right? Because if you're shipping at least four or five a day, you are having issues almost daily, probably every other day. Because yeah, that's I mean, just I the way the industry to, works. I think to like, from the broker's standpoint, having four trucks fall off on the same day for the same load. If I'm having that issue as the broker, what do you think a shipper's having with a mix of brokers yep excuse me, brokers and carriers with a multitude of loads. You got you you definitely have people that are showing up either late, not showing up at all. They've got the wrong equipment type. They're missing some kind of straps or tarps or blocking bracing um, devices. So, I mean, it, you can kind of do your same pattern interrupt. You know, we're good right now. We don't need, need any help. Well, that's awesome. You guys aren't having any issues, you know, whatsoever. Yeah. And you can start to inject other questions too. Like, you know, what have you guys done? You know, a lot of the other customers that I'm working with, they're having issues, you know, X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank. You know, what have you guys done or seen that's, you know, been able to help improve that? That's, that's really awesome. And you can either, you know, you're either, you're kind of calling them out without being rude about it, essentially, but you're keeping that conversation going. And here's, and then the other side of this too, is that also like with this one, again, it's definitely not true. And even if they aren't having issues, the reality is, is like, you've got another card you can play right now. Like, yes, everything we talked about the market is true, but guess what? It's also true that you could probably save them money by getting them a truck in the spot market right now. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, you don't want to be the cheap broker or the discount shipper, but the reality is, is like, hey, look, hey, I'm glad everything's going well. You know, I mean, I send quite a few trucks into your zip code, into your area on a weekly basis. Anyway, we might be able to save you some money on some of this. Would you mind if I took a look at some of the lanes that you guys are running to see if I might be able to save you five, 10% on, you know, what you've been doing. And again, not necessarily looking for that to play itself out my first call, but if I'm dropping little seeds, you know, little hints, my first two or three calls by my third or fourth conversation with them, they might now be comfortable enough to give me a few lanes to evaluate and to see if I might actually be able to save them some money. I've got a, I've got a caveat to that. And it kind of goes back to the um, customer routed, right? So instead of saving the company money. How about if you can make the company a little bit of money? So for example, um, 
if a customer says, you know, hey, our freight's all routed by our customers, right? They're the ones hiring the trucks. They don't know what they're paying for a truck and all that stuff. Well, how about this? If you can get somebody from finance or accounting or, you know, executive level involved and realize, hey, you know, it's not uncommon for you, for, you know, in transportation to have a, your transportation cost slightly marked up to your customer and it creates a small little profit center for you. So um, if you're paying $2,000 in freight on, you know, on average and you're marking it up to your customer and you're saying, hey, it's 2100 right? That's that's your freight cost for the, you know, whatever we're shipping to you. And sure, you're, you're find out whatever that annual average is or quarterly average and they mark it up just a little bit and across the board, their customer pays the same. Sometimes they might take a little bit of loss on transportation, but at the end of the day, overall, they're going to actually have a small profit center out of that. And some people might have a moral objection to that or whatnot, but when a, you know, when you look at the, the internal finance side of a business, when they can see exactly what their costs are versus just wondering, you know, you know, they're, they're running this all themselves. We have no idea. Um, you might raise some eyebrows from you know management level there. So you're not not just the opportunity to save them money by getting trucks cheaper, but if they truly aren't the ones hiring the trucks, if they are, if they can become the one hiring the trucks, they could potentially make some profit on doing that. Well, that's a really good point too. And I've done that with prospects before, where I'm like, hey, look, I'll do like you know a free short audit if you don't mind, where I can go take a look at some of this. And you know, I always use the phrase like, hey, I'll be more than happy to make sure we can keep some of the brokers or trucks you're working with honest, right? Hey, let me take a look at a couple of these. I'll give you my idea on what I charge you for it. Hey, if I'm way above it, no harm, no foul. If I'm cheaper, now you got something to use at least to go back and negotiate with your own people. Shit, I don't. You don't necessarily have to bring me on, but at least I can help you help them. Or help yourself by getting them in line with what you should be paying. All right. Next question is, we have our own trucks. Um, so, I mean, this one, there there are companies that do have their own trucks, right? Um, but mm-hmm. the, here's, here's just the truth when it comes down to that. They would have to be such a well-oiled machine for all of their trucks to fit the exact amount of capacity that they have to ship outbound and to never have any of their company trucks to be then, you know, they're never out there looking for any other loads to haul to make money that they're just, it's just a perfect matchup hundred percent of the time. They would have to be way smarter than the, you know, than any human being to be able to do that. Um, so yes, they're, if they have their own trucks, of course, they're going to be the priority for their own trucks is to haul their own freight, but their own trucks could break down. Their drivers could get sick. Um, you know, a variety of things could happen on the asset side and they could have an influx in business and you can't just get a class A truck by snapping your fingers, right? You get a high volume of, of business. There's a, there's a lead time to get, to get, you know, new assets added to your fleet. Uh, maintenance on the truck, maintenance on the equipment type. How about if you're, you're shipping something out of the ordinary out to one of your customers that doesn't fit the equipment type that you have? Um, so you want to ask the kind of questions that, you know, well, what about the situations when, fill in the blank um, to kind of peel back the layers on that. Cause chances well, are a, they're using other people for some of their stuff. Yeah. And the reality is, is the reason that occurs, if you go down to just the way the company operates is yes, you could use the same number of trucks every day or every week. If you also had the same number of orders and truckloads every day and every week. And the reality is, is most companies don't ship the exact same amount to all of their customers every day and every week. And even if they have their own trucks, to your point, 
when one customer all of a sudden needs a bigger order, they don't have another truck, right? There isn't, you can't just, like you said, call on the phone or run to the dealership and pick up another truck. And you certainly can't get another driver that quick. So the reality yeah. is, is like almost all companies sales ebb and flow, get bigger and get smaller based on what's going on. And they will all do their best to predict them, but nobody knows exactly how many everybody's going to buy of anything. Yeah. Ever. I mean, you have, you have seasonal influxes in business and you have economic shifts in market cycles. So a great example I love on this one, and I'm going to bring in the next the next question is we're slow right now. Um, so think about like a lot of, I see this at least in the Northeast with farms, um, produce shippers. They're a customer. They also have assets and they have an in-house brokerage. I've seen a lot of customers that are like that. And again, they're three different companies, but they're all co-owned and co-managed, right? So the goal would be, all right, um, I'm as a shipper, I'm the one that has the freight. As the as the carrier part of our company, I have trucks that can move that freight, and I now also have access to freight that can keep my trucks loaded. As a broker, I can now go sell to additional people, increase revenue stream, and I can also use my brokerage to potentially um, dispatch for my assets, get some bad calls, gain customers that way. I mean, you get a whole bunch of these, but um, it's not always perfect, right? Because if you look at the farming season, right? They're not shipping the same amount of product throughout the year. There's some parts of the year where they're shipping nothing. Other parts, they're ramping up. Then you get a, the very, very heavy season. Then you get the tail off at the end and then it goes, it goes silent until the next thing ships out. So um, they're always going to have a need at their peak time. And yes, there may be times when they're slow. So to answer the question about, well, we're slow right now, you want to peel back the layers and find out when is their slow season? When do they ramp up? When is their busy season? What what kind of volume goes into that busy season? And then when do things start to tail off? Um, so yeah, kind of tackle two of those with one there. Have you seen a lot of customers like that where they're they have a ship? They have a you know they're a, a shipping company, but they have an in house brokerage and their own trucks. Have you seen that before? Yeah, you see it more often in lumber now. Um, a lot of the very big lumber companies have their own brokerage. Some will own their own assets. Um, and a lot of them, and again, this goes back to another one of the objections that we were talking about earlier, right? Like FOB or customer routed. Oftentimes when that is happening, you can help them save money or you can help them make money off of it. Like asking questions like, hey, how does that actually play out? Like, who quotes this? Does your customer quote it? Do they literally find their own truck and pay them directly? Is it rolled in? Does the place you deliver to the one scheduling the trucks and they are the one that sends you the bill to pay? Does it, because understanding how that plays out, like literally on the bill to the customer is going to tell you whether or not you might be able to help, right? So asking questions around there is going to help you find out if that's true and whether or not you've got an opportunity to be able to help the person you're talking to make more money. And to make them look better. Because again, think about it. If nobody cares what the freight bill is, and oftentimes you got to ask these questions like, hey, FOB, does that mean the person buying your steel gets it like all in one bill, like including transportation? Is it broken out as a line item? Who's the one that comes up with that? Is there margin on it? Where does that margin go? Like those questions, one, are not only going to help you find out more what's going on, but also it makes you look a hell of a lot more credible and more experienced than the person that goes, okay, can you set me up anyway? Well, do you have any loads I can work on? You mean to tell me all of your trucks are showing up on time? Like, again, 
one of the things you don't want to do is to argue through the objection, right? Because even if you <laughs> yeah. win the argument, like it's that old adage, like you might win the battle, you're going to lose the war because they don't like you more by proving them wrong. They're not going to yep. make you like you more, want to work with you ever again. Yep. hundred um, percent. And so I want to reiterate or kind of add on something that you said there. So when you look at, you know, people will say things like, well, I can get you a cheaper truck. And there's a, a negative connotation that comes by that as you don't, so you don't want to be the cheapest, the cheapest broker out there. What you do want to be is the broker that could present multiple options to your customer and creative options to your customer, which could, it could save them costs directly on transportation, but it could also save them costs and headache on claims indirectly or on, you know, customer, their customer satisfaction because their, their customers are receiving their goods on time and all that stuff. So um, I would avoid the, I can get you a truck cheaper, but you can definitely save them money and headaches by presenting better options and um, being a flexible partner to their, to their operation. So uh, weave that in there. All right. The last one we got, yep. it's the opposite of we're slow. It's we're, we're busy or I'm busy right now and I can't talk. Um, this could be true, right? If they're if they're super super busy, um, don't just hop right off the phone. What I would always recommend here is, hey, cool, totally understand. Can I give you a call tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, or whatever? Right? If you're calling in the morning, and they're busy in the morning. Yep. Try the afternoon. If it's the afternoon, try them in the morning. Right? De- depending on the time zone that they're in and the industry that they're in, you'll tend to find that like shippers have like busy times of day and they have like uh, slow times of the day. And when I say like, I mean similar, right? So all yes. all of your produce companies, right? They're going to have, you know, their mornings will all be very similar. And by the end of the day, late afternoon, they're probably all a lot uh, more available to talk on the phone. Absolutely. So, and that's why we always suggest you group your prospects together. So you're learning as you're going, like you're making progress. You're not just Oh, it's either a win or a loss, right? You should be learning about that niche, finding out what are their common issues, when are the common times to be able to reach them, when are they there, when are they not there, and that way you're at least making progress, even if you don't get a new customer in every call you make. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of anything overarching here that I would kind of apply to objections in general. Um, what I will say is that, and this is kind of a, I'm going to repeat reiterate something that we've we've kind of hit the nail on the head here in this episode is what they're saying to you is not always exactly what they mean. And the goal of prospecting is to ask questions, listen to what they're saying to try and find out exactly what it is that they're trying to communicate to you. Because their goal might be to get you off the phone because they don't want to talk to you. Um, they might be stressed about a certain shit they're dealing with right now. They don't have time to talk to you. Whatever it is, or it could, yeah, it could be like instead of the you know, we only work with asset-based companies. Well, we're really just trying to, we're trying to limit the amount of brokers we use. Okay, well, why is that? But either way, at the end of the day, you have to ask questions and listen and learn from what they're telling you as feedback. So um, don't get one objection and give up and move on to the next customer. You'll, you're never going to grow a book of business by giving up after one objection every single time. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to add one thing to this and we're not going to have a ton of time to go through this whole process, but another great way to handle that objection is to use a third party story, which is really just giving them an example of how you've run into this with another prospect or another customer. So in that example, right? Oh, Hey, Nate, thanks for pointing that out. So, I mean, you said you're not adding new brokers. 
I, I mean, I can, I totally understand where you're coming from. If you're anything like my other customers over at ABC Supply, I know Jimmy told me basically he's had his boss on him every week, all year, making sure they are reducing the number of brokers they work with and increasing the number of assets. So I got to imagine you guys are running into the same thing over there. Now, I didn't call him wrong. I validated what he said. I'm telling him I'm familiar, but I'm also hinting that I am the one of the brokers at my customer that they've kept on while they've eliminated everybody else. And there's probably some reason why they're still working with me. Now I'm insinuating to this guy that I might be worth talking to again. He's not going to jump to that conclusion, but I'm, you know, dropping a little bit of a subtle information there that'll, you know, pave that road for me later. Absolutely. Good discussion. Um, if you guys have any, have any other additional objections you want us to talk about, definitely send us a message. You can do it right through our website or email us at info at freight360.net. Uh, we've got three questions today in the Q&A. Um, but first, let's talk about Lean. So Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your brokerage or agency, visit them at www.leangroup.com. And if you're curious, check out last week's episode. We talked with Jordan Reber from ARL, and he, he tells his story about how they grew to having over 100 folks from Lean on their team. Um, okay, Q&A. First question, when is bid season for shippers? There is no correct answer here. Um, you might think it's going to be an annual bid, so it's going to happen in Q4. Uh, and that is true with a lot of year-round shippers. If they're doing an annual bid, you'll tend to see that stuff pop up right around now, October. Uh, but some customers do quarterly bids. Some customers do many bids on like a monthly basis. Um, and some do bids based on their shipping season if it's not year-round. So there is no perfect answer, but that is a great question to be asking when you're prospecting. If you know your customer is seasonal, they don't ship you around. Hey, when do you guys start shipping? And okay, great. In June. So, you know, how, how early are you guys starting to um, vet out transportation providers to, to contract on your, on your uh, dedicated or, you know, on your, on your loads there for that season? Um, so but yeah, typically, if they're a year-round and they do an annual bid, you're going to see it pop up in the fall, Q4. Yeah, the only thing I would add is not only should you ask, but you do not want to start prospecting them right when they tell you. Like, you need to start earlier than that. I can't tell you the first year I was in this business and everybody told me like, hey, my bid season, you know, or bids are in November, in the middle of November. Call them middle of November. And they're like, yeah, everybody submitted everything. We're going through approval right now. So call us next October. And you're like, I just lost an entire year because I didn't call these guys a month or a month and a half. So again, depending on the size of the company, they're all a little bit different, but you want to also specifically ask when do they start sending out their lanes and receiving their bids from their carriers, not just when is their bid process? Because they could tell you it's the end. They could tell you it's the beginning. You want to know exactly when you should be following up and when you can start to get your name in the hat. Yeah. I'll give you another thing too, to add on that is, there are companies that based on how a provider is performing in the middle of their, you know, let's say it's an annual bid, right? Halfway through the year, they might reevaluate a few lanes because they're having terrible service. So if you continue to follow up throughout, we just had this happen literally last week. Um, 
awarded zero lanes on a on a or cut you know missed the cutoff on a bid, but was able to hop in um, down the road based on a variety of circumstances. So um, if a traffic manager is getting pressure from their boss or whoever, because whoever they contracted for these lanes is not performing at the level that they're expecting, they will oftentimes reevaluate that in the middle of that cycle. So don't be afraid to follow here's up. Here's a great question to ask. Hey, are there any instances where you are able or willing to evaluate a transportation provider outside of your bid season? And they might tell you, yeah, when we really need a truck for a lane, hey, okay, is that happened recently? Where did it happen at, right? Like you got to ask these questions. They're not just going to come out and tell you these things. Yep. That's why they call it prospecting. It's not just calling and you get pitched by them. You've got to be digging yeah. and asking questions here. This next question, and I absolutely love this one. This came from our Facebook page from a carrier. And they said, I'm on my eighth load for a shipper. So they're working directly with a shipper. And the shipper is behind on their payments to me. Should I hold their current in transit loads until they're caught up on payments? So they're basically saying like, I'm not using a broker. I'm going right to the shipper mm-hmm. and they're slow paying me. Should I hold their current loads hostage until they pay me? No. It's illegal. Well, this is why brokers exist in the supply chain. So for all those yes. carriers, so I love when I see carriers bashing brokers. And you have this carrier. This is how this is how naive some carriers are. They, they, they just think, oh yeah, I'm going to work directly with them. It's all going to be good. Yeah, carriers pay me in thirty days. Pay me in two, three days, or they're not going to quit pay you either. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to pay you the same time they pay a broker, 30 to 45 days, somewhere in there. Sometimes it's 60. And it, hey, if yep. there's a claim on it, good luck seeing a payment on it um, and within six months of, at all. So yep. yeah, exactly why we exist here. So no, do not hold their uh, loads in trans or their in transit loads hostage, Mr. or Mrs. Carrier. Um, last question. What do I do if someone is fraudulently using my MC in a gmail account to pose as me and broker loads so i actually looked into this in detail because there is so the whole thing here it's it's basically fraudulent double brokering is what they're doing right they're someone's posing as a broker using their mc number um they give a load to um you know who you know it, it's probably they're probably posing as a as the carrier's mc number taking the load and rebrokering out or whatever they're doing right either way mm-hmm. the fmcsa does have a um office of like was it the investigative um general or something like that that does they you could submit um you could submit like fraudulent claims to i found it this morning and i was shocked i wish i had the link i'll actually do, they, I'll, do we know if they do they do we know if they do anything about them? Or are they like the eighty thousand instances of double I'm, brokerage? I'm, yeah, I'm guessing it's probably, <laughs> it's probably going to fall into that eighty thousand that we brought up um, recently. But uh, here it is: fmcsa.gov/mission/help/broker and carrier fraud and identity theft. Um, so it says the FMCSA recommends you take the following steps if somebody is utilizing your DOT or MC number, and they are not authorized to do so. Report it to, lo- to local law enforcement, okay? Report it to the U.S. Department of Transportation's Office of the Inspector General. It has a hotline number and a website. Um, file a complaint with the FMCSA National Consumer Complaint Database. That's probably where the double broker complaints have gone to. 
Because the one that they said, it's the inspector general is through the DOT, whereas the complaint one is actually right to the FMCSA. Um, contact your insurance. Let them know about the fraud. Make social media posts. Um, make sure your company's phone numbers are displayed on safer, the uh, proper way, and treat your company information like your banking and credit card information. So conduct frequent checks. So that is the uh, the general advice from FMCSA. I'll throw the link in the show notes. Um, so it says brokers, the carrier who had or has your load may also be a victim and is not knowingly involved in the theft. By working together, you will be able to get the goods delivered properly. Thank you, FMCSA. You make it sound like it's also peachy smooth, and it's not that way. <laughs> uh, but here's the whole thing, right? There is a process, and a you know, there's a way to to report against these carriers that are fraudulently using either a carrier or a broker MC number. Um, so report them. We've put the pressure on um, you know in DC for these folks to start taking action on this, and um, TIA is lobbying hard for broker, you know, for intermediary companies and brokers right now to to get FMCSA to take action here. So they can't do anything if we're not reporting it. So you should definitely be reporting it. Um, but I'll be honest, man, with how busy this year has been and the amount of double broker situations we've had, we personally have not reported all of them. Um, it's just, you know. Time consuming. Yeah, it is. It's time, it's time consuming. If they're not doing anything doing anything about it, wow, we're going to report it. Um, yep. But let's hope that things change. So. Good question. Good episode, man. It's like, it makes me think about the, the, you know, the double brokering or legal brokering stuff. There's like so many ways it can happen. Like an actual broker can rebroker load without permission. Um, A carrier could steal someone's MC and, you know, take a load as a carrier, then rebroker it. Um, A carrier can take a load from a broker and then pretend to be that broker and rebroker it. I mean, just like, there's a million ways this can all happen. And then sometimes they yep. intend to pay, sometimes they don't intend to pay, all that stuff. But it's murky waters, man. So, what, uh, I don't know, what else we got? That's about it, man. I've been I, wanna, little... I did want to take a look at this uh, week six, the uh, the matchups here at the NFL. I know Bill's Chiefs. Um, that'll be a good game. Very, very good game. Uh, Bills are on the road. They're two-point favorites, actually, against the Chiefs. Um, who's the uh, Steelers got this weekend? Oh, I think the Patriots. Or no, I think. No, Bucks. Bucks. yeah. Tampa, Tampa Bay. Bay. Tampa Bay, yep. Tampa Bay's favored by eight. Uh, yeah, Bills are favored by three, actually, now. And I was wrong earlier. It's the Sunday night game for the Cowboys and Eagles, not the Thursday night game. So that'll be a good one to watch. Philly is favored. They are at home. Um, but it's going to be two two pretty strong teams there. Um, I think Philly pulls off the win. I think uh, I think Tom Brady is going to beat um, Kenny Pickett and the Steelers, man. Yeah. We'll so. see. Oh, but no, Tom Brady's not looking, he's not looking like Super Bowl caliber right now. No. Starting to look old and frail. I don't know. Um, the big one though is Bills Chiefs. That's that's you know that's your rematch of last year's AFC Championship. No, it was two oh. years ago AFC Championship, and last year was a divisional round that we were matched yeah. up in, and the Bills lost in that overtime debacle. But that I I'm gonna say it's gonna be a high scoring game. Um, it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a shootout, kind of like the uh, Baltimore game was. 
I'm going to take the Bills, though, man. I think it says Bills are favored by three. I'm taking the Bills by six. Taking the Bills by six against the Chiefs. So I'm currently, what am I, four and one on the year for my picks? Or four, I guess three one and ones. I did have one that just it tied spread, but all right. Um, what else is going on? Anything? Oh, we got some cool stuff coming up, right? We got, um, this is a good one to look forward to. So this will not be dropping next week. It should be dropping the following week, but we are bringing on a, uh, shipper. That's going to be a great episode to get inside the mind of the, the folks that you guys are prospecting. So definitely stay tuned later this month. You'll have that. And then we'll have, uh, uh, blue book on again. That should drop first of first week in November there. And, yeah, man, it'll be good. So, Great, man. Well, I hope you enjoy the beach or the pool or whatever you're doing. Yeah, it's pretty nice out. I'm actually looking forward to it. it should be a nice evening. Good. I've got some friends in town, so I might see them, grab something to eat after. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's fun stuff. All right, man. Well, <laughs> uh, final closing thoughts here. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.